This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, February 28th, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for the Tuesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. We'll get an update on the housing market in our next segment, but right now it's Election Day in Chicago, with voters choosing a mayor, aldermen, and members of the new police councils. We're joined by Greg Hines, columnist for Crane's Chicago Business. And Greg, let's talk about the nine mayoral candidates and who's got the best odds of making it to a runoff in April. Well, Rachel, as always, it depends in part on who turns out. So far, older people uh, are turning out in much bigger numbers than, uh, than younger people. Uh, that is probably a reflection of the importance of the crime issue. Uh, all kinds of polls and surveys and whatever have shown that crime is the number one issue on the minds of Chicagoans. And- the other thing that we're, we're, they've been reporting, too, is the number of mail-in votes. And, and there's still a great deal that have yet to be submitted, and it's going to take some time for those to be counted. Is it likely that we really won't know the results tonight? Uh, I'm not sure about likely, but uh, cross your fingers. I'd certainly like to know what's going on tonight. But uh, <laughs> the truth of the matter is that uh, we have about up to as many as 100,000 uh, mail ballots that could be returned after tonight. And, and let's help explain to our listeners, too, why we're seeing so much mail-in activity. This is part of a, a permanent system that was introduced during the pandemic. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit nostalgic. I like to go to uh, the polling place on Election Day and rub shoulders with my neighbors and talk to the precinct captain and, and see what's going on. But uh, increasingly, that's a minority viewpoint. Uh, uh, people like the convenience of not having to go at a crowd, of being able to sit there at their computer or at their kitchen table and fill out the ballot and send it in. It started during uh, uh, during uh, COVID, but I think it's proved to have legs. It's, it's going to be popular. People just enjoy doing it that way. It's more convenient for them than having to pick up and uh, take care of the kids or whatever and get yourself to the polling place. That's Greg Hines, columnist for Crane's Chicago Business. Of course, we'll have our live continuous election coverage when the polls close starting at 7 o'clock this evening. Coming up, an update on the home buying and selling market, including some help for first-time home buyers. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The calendar turns to March tomorrow, meaning that spring home buying season is officially heating up. Joining us with some key advice, including for first-time home buyers, is Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch here in Chicago. And Steve, before we jump into advice for first-time home buyers, let's first talk about exactly where home price gains have have sat recently. I know that year-over-year prices are still up, but they seem to have dropped since their peak in June. Uh, that's correct, Rachel. We uh, saw prices in the latest Case-Shiller report up about 6% year-over-year year nationally, but that's 
uh, cooled off considerably over the last few months. Uh, and actually, I think prices are down about 4.4% from their June peak. So it's just, again, mortgage rates have had a very uh, chilling effect on a lot of the housing market. Uh, prices, though, do remain kind of stubbornly high, given how much mortgage rates have risen. Yeah, you'd think that, um, that 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 would be enough of a deterrent to drop down home prices for sellers that are really trying to get rid of that real estate. Is this downward trend likely to continue, though, when we're talking about prices? I, I believe everybody uh, thinks the cooling is still uh, going to ha- happen. Uh, we may never see actual housing price uh, drops in these year-over-year numbers for some time, but certainly... They are going to continue to cool. We did have a a nice jump in pending home sales uh, this week, but, uh, you know, that came basically at a time when a little bit after mortgage rates had started to slide at the end of the year. But then again, they've come back up to start this year. So uh, I think we're still looking for a, a rather weak spring season. Well, what advice do you have for for first-time home buyers? Because the process of buying a home is daunting in and of itself, but then you have these high home prices, you've got these uh, inflated mortgage rates. It could be uh, a little off-putting, maybe. So what what are some resources available to to those first-time buyers? Right. It's definitely a a tricky time to get in. First off, you know, if you're a first-time buyer, you need to know what you can afford you need to get pre-approved for a mortgage so you can be, you know, looking in the right price range. And you're going to need to know what your housing choice is and where it is because you still may have to act fast even though the market has cooled off. Inventory still remains low. There are a couple of programs that you might be able to take advantage of. A lot of the home builders now are coming back with one of their old tricks, which was mortgage buy-downs where they might buy down the first couple of years of your mortgage so that you can have a lower payment for a while. That might help you get into a home. There are still some lease-to-own programs uh, in which you can lease a home for a while and build up a, a little equity in it and then buy it later. And, of course, you can always check for your local municipalities to have affordable housing programs or set-aside programs in which there may be several units in a bigger development that are set aside for people making less than the median income. Thanks so much, Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch in Chicago. Up next, some workers are championing what's called a bare minimum Monday. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Some employees are now embracing the idea of bare minimum Monday. It's a way to cope with the stresses of the work week. Let's learn more about this new trend from Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half. And Michelle, at first it was quiet quitting. I have no surprise this is the new trend, but explain what is bare minimum Monday? Yes, well, with lots of workers, um, you know, kind of stretching that hybrid schedule into always being home on Mondays and Fridays, um, what we're seeing is that, you know, the ones that are are working from home on Monday are kind of just maybe doing the bare minimum of what needs to be done. Um, They're doing just enough to get by because they don't have to be in an office versus kind of attacking that week head on, you know, right out of the gate on a Monday. So is this to to alleviate like the Sunday scaries where you're in bed thinking about all the things you have to do on Monday? Now you can just say, you know what? Nah, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Self-care, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, I was just talking about that with some friends this weekend, uh, a couple of friends who actually had to be in an office on a Monday, and they were talking about the Sunday scaries. And I said, my goodness, I haven't heard, heard that term in so long. And I do really think it's because most workers are working from home on a Monday, so they don't have those scaries anymore. They can kind of ease into that week, and it's now become more of a Monday night scary instead. But there's got to be a little bit of a balancing act here, right? Doing just the bare minimum. I think uh, you might have to be careful in that you're still being productive. Absolutely. You know, um, at the end of the day, a company has to hit, you know, whatever production numbers or jobs that they need to get done. Managers are still managing to a full work week. And so, you know, as an employee, you you just got to make sure that, you know, you're communicative about what you can handle or tackle on a Monday and, you know, not let it be known that you kind of go into it with a bare minimum attitude. Yeah, I'm not really sure what a bare minimum would sound like here on WBBM, but you know what? (laughs) We don't need to find out. Thanks so much, Michelle Reisdorf. She's a Chicago jobs expert at Robert Half here in Chicago. And still ahead in Travel Tuesday, some tips on planning that multi-generational summer trip. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The packed race for Chicago as mayor is expected to require a runoff. Supreme Court justices consider the constitutionality of the White House's student loan forgiveness plan. In Travel Tuesday, it's a great time to start planning that summer trip for all generations of the family. Plus, Facebook parent company Meta working to limit the spread of revenge porn images of teenagers from social media. WBBM business. Markets are mixed. The Dow down 78 points. NASDAQ up 78. And the S&P 500 up 15 points. AccuWeather calls for mostly sunny skies the rest of today with a high near 50 degrees. Cloudy tonight. A couple of late rain showers with a low of 38. Then another mild day tomorrow. Partly sunny with a high of 58. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The race for mayor of Chicago will most likely not be decided today. That's due to the sheer number of candidates on the ballot. WBBM political editor Craig Delamore has that story. Unless there's a lightning strike, the mayor's race is headed for a runoff. With incumbent Mayor Lori Lightfoot facing eight credible challengers, no single candidate is likely to get the more than 50 percent of the vote needed to win outright. The mayor's campaigned on the strength of the city's COVID recovery and planned redevelopment of the south and west sides. Former schools chief Paul Vallis has focused largely on promises to fight crime more aggressively. Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson have each sought to be seen as the true progressive voice, but Johnson's had the help of the Chicago Teachers Union. The other candidates in the race are businessman and philanthropist Willie Wilson, alderperson Sophia King and Roderick Sawyer, state rep Cam Buckner, and community activist Jamal Green. The top two finishers go to the April runoff. 
Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. The U.S. Supreme Court is now hearing arguments over President Biden's plan to forgive student loan debt. The plan makes more than 40 million people eligible for some level of debt forgiveness, and 20 million could have their debts erased entirely. The court is hearing two challenges to the plan, one by two students and a second by six Republican states. Among the issues for justices, whether those challenging the program have the right to sue, which includes showing that they are financially hurt by the plan. Allison Keyes, CBS News, Washington. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The markets are mixed this hour. We're joined by Jim Welsh, a macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com based in San Diego, California. Jim, glad to have you with us. Let's first talk about what you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today. Well, I think it's just some uh, fumbling around a little bit, Rachel. The market got hit. Uh, a little bit last week, perceptions of what the Fed is going to do in coming months have shifted. Wall Street, uh, prior to uh, February 1st, thought the Fed would actually be cutting rates in the second half of this year, Rachel. And now, uh, the, the you know, the Wall Street and the projections for the Fed funds rate are that uh, the Fed will raise it up to about five and three-eighths and not cut it uh, later this year. So I think that's what the market is uh, adjusting to. I'm not sure that process is done yet. I think there's probably still a little bit more downside left before the market can mount a, you know, a more sustained rally. And we're also wrapping up earnings season. So what's been your takeaway, especially when we're talking about forward guidance? Yeah, I thought earnings were going to be pretty decent. And the interesting thing is, if you go back to last summer, uh, the majority of CEOs were worried about a slowdown and a recession. And in the fourth quarter uh, earnings calls that are you know, pretty much wrapping up, far fewer are worried about a recession. So we've seen a big shift in the boardroom from being concerned about uh, what was the economy going to be doing to now a lot more optimism. And again, I think that really sets the market up for a larger decline as we get towards mid-year, Rachel, because expectations have shifted from, oh, my gosh, we're in a recession last summer to we're not going to have any landing. The economy is going to be fine. So if that proves wrong, and I think it is likely to, I think the S&P will trade down towards the October low at some point in time this year and potentially as low as 3200 so does that does that put you then in in the soft landing camp, the recession camp? Uh, it's, you're sounding a little bit more conservative here. Yeah, I am. Based on leading indicators, uh, the inverted yield curve, banks have increased their lending standards significantly. All three of those indicators, Rachel, have reached a level that in the last 50 to 60 years has always been followed by a recession. So that's why I think the probability of a recession is high. And then what happens is when you start to accept the fact, oh, man, it looks like we're going to a recession, and then you get some more data points, then people start worrying, oh, my God, maybe it won't be a soft landing, it'll be a hard landing. That's the process that I think is likely to unfold as we get towards mid-year. And that's when you get the final selling squall within a bear market that sets the market up for a much stronger rebound because you really do get closer at that point in time to the Fed shifting monetary policy from tightening to easing. So I think they're going to see a lot of volatility in the next six months. All right. Setting the crystal ball aside, let's talk (laughs) about what areas of the market right now you see as attractive. Um, I really don't see anything that's overly attractive. If I'm right about a recession, what happens is they throw the baby out with the bathwater. So even well-managed companies, stock prices go down. 
And I think that's the risk that majority of investors face in the next six months. If I'm right and a recession starts to loom, we're going to see another leg lower in the market, and it's going to carry almost all stocks lower. Some will go down by 5%. Some may go down by 20% or more. So I, I think at this point in time, uh, investors would be wise just to kind of sit on cash and wait to see how this unfolds. What would you say to the investor uh, that, that maybe is looking more toward the short-term moves and is panicked by what they're seeing and what could be coming? <laughs> okay, if I'm right here, Rachel, I think we have a little bit more downside. The S&P could dip below 3,900. Then I think we're going to see a rally that takes the S&P above 4,195 uh, before we see a much deeper correction take place. So, so those who want to be traders, that's the outline I would have. If the S&P drops below 3760, then I think we're going to definitely not get much of a bounce. So I think there's a little bit of a bounce coming, predicated on the fact that now the streets are expecting the Fed to do more than what they expected. I think we're going to continue to see inflation come down, and that should provide some relief. Relief indeed. We always appreciate the insight. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com. Up next in Travel Tuesday, planning that perfect multi-generational trip for the summer. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and if you're looking to put something on the calendar for summer, you might want to consider a vacation that includes parents, kids, and grandparents. Let's get some help from Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. And Angie, how does a family decide when uh, when do you invite aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents? What makes it a, a good idea to have a multi-generational summer getaway? Yes, and determining who gets to go is probably the fun as well as problematic, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe that's the pessimist in me, but how do you decide who you're really willing to spend an extended period of time with doing uh, something that's supposed to be fun and relaxing? Right. Oftentimes that depends on how much you can spend and how much room can accommodate the extent that you're looking at villa options, So price is very important, and destination can really draw more family members. So if you choose a destination that really appeals to aunts, uncles, grandparents, and that can accommodate kids of all different ages, you're going to have more buy-in. So so what are the benefits? Let's say we get the family together. They say, okay, we're we're ready for this. Let's plan a trip. Uh, What are some things to consider, and what are some good destinations to look at? I love Costa Rica as a destination for multi-gen. There's options for affordable resorts as well as villas. I think if you're willing to travel even further, Greece is a great destination because they have a mix of so many different types of hotels and villas that there's something for all people. You may not be able to choose uh, islands like Santorini, but there's other islands like Crete that are perfect for family and more affordable. It also gives families the flexibility to maybe spend a week together and then have some pre and post time where they're with their immediate family. Lots of destinations can accommodate pre and post time if you want to divide it with more intimacy with your immediate family. Or maybe there's a couple that's meeting their family members that have lots of kids and they want some of that time seeing nieces and nephews, but maybe some time alone as well. Now, I'm, the sunshine and mild temperatures today are reminding me that spring is just around the corner, which means summer is almost here. Is, are there, is there still time to plan a trip for this summer? Is, are there still bookings available? Are we seeing airfare at reasonable prices? 
Time is limited, and I'd have to say no as far as airfare is going to be expensive. So part of planning the trip is really looking at what the airfare is going to cost you and as well as a good estimate of what the uh, hoteling and what the activities and tours are going to cost you because you don't want to get in a situation where you've chosen a destination only to find out that the air is either complicated or outside your overall budget. So with a big group, you kind of want to do both hand in hand. You want to know what the cost of the airfare is going to be to get everybody there, especially if people are coming from different destinations. You don't want some family members being stuck on a connection or having to overnight somewhere that's not reasonable. And, you know, another way to really look for opportunities and plan a little bit more quickly without being caught up in um, all the different options is to also look at joining a tour operator that offers small groups. And you might find that your family can do a private group and then everything is pretty much planned for you and you have a lot of oversight activities and that can really simplify the process as well. We love companies like Backroads does a great job with families. Uh, Trafalgar does a great job with, with families. And then there's also always the option to cruise. Thanks so much. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, trying to stop explicit images of teenagers from being circulated on social media. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Social media company Meta, the parent of Facebook, is working to limit so-called revenge porn images of teenagers. Let's find out what they're doing from Jennifer Jolly, a Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder, editor-in-chief of TechIsh.com based in San Francisco. Jennifer, we know that revenge pornography is uh, skyrocketing over the last uh, most recent years on social media. So uh, Facebook parent company Meta introducing a new tool. What can you tell us about it? Well, it's called Take It Down, and it does take aim at that practice where someone posts an explicit picture of an individual, and in this case, someone under the age of 18 without their consent. Most of the time, this is done to publicly humiliate them. Uh, Oftentimes, it's done as extortion, so they're trying to get you to give them money to take it down, but it has become such a big problem that now the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are involved, and this is a a joint uh, new kind of rollout with them. So this is more of a, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's sort of a preventative measure in that uh, someone under the age of 18 can anonymously... Send it's help us understand it because from what I understand is you can right. anonymously submit an explicit photo. That photo isn't itself there; it's more of a digital fingerprint. And then, if that image is ever actually published on social media, it would be alerted. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you just walked us through the exact steps. So <laughs> okay, good. The teen has to basically download, take it down onto their device onto their iPhone, onto their uh, laptop, their iPad, and then they have to upload or identify that specific photo. So to your point, it's not the photo itself, but it's this digital fingerprint or a hash. Um, That is then attached to those intimate images. But all of this is based on so many ridiculous assumptions. What if that image isn't on their own device. What if somebody Mm -hmm. else took that picture? Um, So it assumes that they have control of that or even have a copy of it to begin with. Parents can also do this uh, 
for a teen. This is a very interesting step. I think it's more important that it's out there and that parents start talking to their kids about it, that teachers start talking to students about it. We need a lot more education because once you're at that point to need this take it down tool, it's kind of too late. Yeah. And again, I I think that this is Meta trying to sort of make good after being criticized for its role in in perhaps enabling some of this revenge pornography. But but again, it does have its holes. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram have been proven. And this came up, you know, most recently in President Biden's speech, uh, his State of the Union address. They have been proven. They know that it is not good for teenagers, especially uh, Instagram and females. And it's done so much harm. Yet they're kind of saying, oh, look, here we are to help a problem we created. But also you go one layer further. And the big problem with big tech is more of a human problem. These things happen because we maybe haven't taught our kids. We're not paying enough attention to them. We haven't taught them about these issues. Uh, These girls and boys are very vulnerable in a time when these tools can and will be used to exploit as long as there are humans with that kind of behavior behind them. That's Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.